Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. So, Guy, Nick Mason, source full of secrets, of which we are um, two-fifths, right? Uh, we're going back out on the road in the summer across the UK. We are. We're, it's all of June, so brace yourself. What's it called? It's called the Set the Control Store. What a brilliant name. Who do you uh, think could have come up with such a great name for a tour, Gary? I wonder. I think yeah. I'm looking at him, right? But then you I might. did come up with uh, Nick Mason, source full of secrets. You did, and in fact, that came up in a podcast then because you were inspired by Woody Woodman's Is You Boat, weren't you? I was, yes. Anyway, anyway, but enough of that. So... Join Nick, Guy, Lee Harris, uh, Don Beacon and me as we celebrate the early years with, you know, that incredible, it's an incredible body of work, isn't it? The early Pink Floyd. It goes up to just before Dark Side of the Moon. goes up to 1972, all the film soundtracks, all the Sid stuff, stuff you've never heard, stuff that no one's ever heard, frankly. obviously. Echoes is the big sort of, you Um, know, uh, what is that? What would you call it? Magnum Opus. I love a Magnum, don't you? Yeah, I never met Magnum. (laughs) (laughs) Um, anyway, tickets are on sale now and you can buy yours at uh, myticket.co.uk. And Kilimanjaro Live presents Nick Mason's Source Full of Secrets, the Set the Control Tour. So I, I hope you can hear me because my kid's in the other room doing a, a cello lesson on Zoom. That's the kind of family I'm in now. Well, at least it's the next room. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, that's good. And so uh, who we got today? We're speaking to Stuart today, aren't we? Stuart Copeland. We are amazing. I'm quite excited, actually. The first time I ever saw Stuart Copeland, I walked straight out. I think I mentioned this story on one of our earlier episodes. It was, uh, I went down in the open hanker and he was, they were playing a band called The Police and I poked the my head hanker. in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they said the, the, the open wanker. Yeah. And <laughs> the open wanker, that's another place. I've been there. That's a jazz uh, club. <laughs> and, uh, and I looked in and I, I thought, nah, it's rubbish. And I, we walked out. So, um, and then he turned out to be one of the, you know, one of the best bands in the world. One of the best, yeah. There's a rumour that my old mate Jake LeMessurier taught him how to play reggae, but I'm not going to bring that up. Um, what I want to talk about is the fact that his dad was actually CIA station chief in Beirut. Really? Yeah. Well, let's get going. Welcome to The Rock on Tours. That's a big tune for sure. I actually wrote that originally for Tina Turner. Of course, I had gone and found Joni Mitchell down in Florida and brought her back. You know, what people forget about Bowie is that he was such a kind man. Remember me? I'm in a band now. (laughs) It's called Roxy Music. You know this thing about the 10,000 hours of experience? Oh, yeah. Get good at something. When we recorded Arnold Lane, we'd done about 50 hours. The Rock Hunters podcast with Gary Kemp and Guy Pratt. Hello, Stuart. So, right, where to begin? First, how, how, how is it where you are? Well, it's, we know how it is where you are. It's, it's insane. Well, um, three times a day, I remember to consider those who are not enjoying the apocalypse as much as I am. Um, some of us are blessed to have a livelihood which allows us to stay home. And others of us have to go out into the pestilence. And uh, my heart goes out to them. And I need, like I say, to be reminded of them often. It's a very much K-shaped apocalypse. I mean, but it also sort of creativity sort of finds a way, and I'm sure you were frustrated in some respects. I mean, were you meant to be out playing live at all? Yes. Um, uh, like everybody, I had shows. Um, but 
I also had desk work, which is a really strange happenstance that um, not many people know this, but I've got a side job um, unexpectedly as a opera composer. And uh, I do know that. Um, yes, you've done that for quite a while, haven't you? Yeah, well, so I wrote an opera for Germany uh, for the Deutsche National Theatre, um, and then they were blown up by COVID, so that's going to open next summer. Meanwhile, as soon as I finished that, I started another one for an Italian company um, uh, about witches, and that opens up. So I've, so I've been very busy at my desk. So do you write the libretto as well? Uh, not this time. I do sometimes, but but I actually have a guy who's better at it than me. For those so, who know, libretto is just is the lyrics in opera, isn't it? Yeah, opera libretto. Language. It's also a type of waistcoat that Gary likes. Oh, really? Sometimes. The libretto. Yeah. Do you have the mauve libretto with gold? <laughs> yeah. Um, those days are over. You said you'd never mention them again. Uh, yeah. yeah, by the way, during the, Gary, during the course of this conversation, I may lean on you for some style tips because I know that's, you know, something you a strong theme of yours. Well, actually, uh, funny enough, because there's something I heard you say, because I remember, Stuart, you once said we were talking about having to go to meetings or something. And you said you just get the Prada suit. You just go down to it and get the Prada suit. And, that, and then I heard right. you in an interview. And I know it's true because I've always a sucker for the blue Prada suit. But in an interview, you described the police as being a Prada suit made of barbed wire. Yes. Um, you've been in the band. That was very, very good. Now, Gary, I mean, Guy sort of is on the yes. side and, 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 and um, probably is escape, able to escape the angst of the band dynamic. Uh, which can be yes right yeah well you this is, I now this is true this is something that I thought we were going to come to at some point because you two, of, I mean having been involved with one of the most angsty band dynamics of all time no, but, hey, not hey, hey, my in, band but not directly involved no 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 I'm, I'm talking about my I'm talking about the band I'm associated with but don't have to deal with whereas you two are absolutely yeah um, we're at the heart of it front and center at the heart of yeah, I, don't, I don't think the angsty bands police never ended up in court did they they never ended up in court you guys well i'm not i i, I hope you found as i did that after all the the, the the hit years then you grow up you have a family you realize that there's more to life than whether i get to play a drum fill or not um and then love returns into the equation and that um, in my band, all of our angst is no more. We are all uh, very lovey and we hug often. Oh, really? I mean, I can wow. you're, you're cool with your brother. How about uh, that singer guy? Yeah, no, we're, we're um, currently estranged, I think it's fair to say. <laughs> um, guy whistling. Uh, I, I, um, yeah, listen, I mean, we've tried it on. We've tried yeah. it on. I think it was difficult even back in the 80s, to be honest. But, uh, we, uh, we had a working relationship. We had something. Uh, Gary, we had something called band therapy. Did you? And it worked. I heard that the Stones had like a band therapist. Did you? And really? when we were out on our reunion tour at each other's throats, I figured, wait a minute, we're having the best tour ever, playing stadiums and what have you, and the whole schmear. Why are two guys here really miserable? At the two people at the center of it all. And so um, we got a band therapist, and it worked. We sat together. We looked into each other's eyes. We put. We actually put our hands on each other's hearts. I know that's a bit squishy. No, no, I like this. This is amazing. And we said things that, you know, for 20 years we've been seeking vulnerable places to insert the dagger and thinking that, you know, both of us are very arrogant and, and, and so on. And so I never thought that I ever landed a blow. 
and it turns out that every blow landed and left a deep wound. And so there we are confessing to our, you know, the pain and anguish and realize, we figured out what it was that we were arguing about and uh, have been getting along famously since. Wow, what an exorcism. I know Metallica did that. So did you take That's this- I was gonna say, there was the Metallica movie, isn't there? Yeah, yeah, some kind of monster. Did you, take, did you take him on the road with you or her? Well, I had to take him on the road. Oh, the, the th I thought you were talking about Sting. Yeah, we kind of had to. <laughs> yeah, we tried it. We tried it without. <laughs> Clark Kent just wasn't selling, right? That's yeah. right. Yeah, we, uh, fuck, we better call that bass player in. Uh, yeah. So did, did you take him on the road, the, the, the therapist? No, we, we had a session. Um, actually, two. we actually had two. One of them did, worked for about a week, and we were at each other's throats again in no time. And then we got this other lady. And, um, and, and we had uh, a session, which it just changed everything. It was amazing. Because this, is that that last big tour then you're talking the about? The last big Back tour, in the yeah. 80s. Oh, no, 2007, right? Yeah. Oh, 2007. 2008 or nine or both. Was Andy like, was Andy like the shared child, like looking through the railing, the banisters, saying, no, no more, mummy, daddy. No, Andy, <laughs> you know, whenever there was conflict, and that was great for Andy, because he could pick a side. It was like Chinese democracy, you know. And, uh, and then when the, the problem that we had all along was that Sting and I both have a very shallow reservoir of bile. Neither of us can keep an, a towering rage lasting for very long. You know, yeah. I guess you'd call it towering rage dysfunction. Um, yeah. And so within 20 minutes, we've kind of forgot. What was it we were shouting about? I forget. Uh, I mean, he soon think of something yeah. else to annoy me. I mean, it didn't, you know, the, the peaceful didn't last very long either. But so Andy would get all excited when Sting and I are sh shouting and screaming. And then to his disappointment, he turns around and we're hugging again. <laughs> all right, right, right. A, do you think do you it's because this? you had two, Sorry, two strong cats? You had two alphas? Actually, Andy was no non-alpha. Alpha, Andy is total... No, that's what I mean. But I mean, you and Sting. Yeah, yeah. I mean, no, it really... We realized what the conflict was. And he thought that I was jealous. And that's just wrong. I was the youngest sibling. I was totally happy at the back of the stage. You know, that was not it. And he assumed since he's the eldest and he, what it was, was he was writing great songs and he was getting really good at it. And less and less did he feel the need to compromise. Um, he knew how to make a hit record. And by the way, I'm, he did uh, know how to make a hit record. Um, and most annoying of, of all was occasionally he would show up to record an album with demos that we could have just released as they were and had hits, which mm. induced a homicidal rage, as you, I'm sure you understand. Although, and I and I will talk we'll talk <laughs> about it later. But your, your drum style was so d uh, unique and offered so much to that sound of the police. I mean, what we yeah, had here with I, the police was, you know, this incredible songwriter who's like a power pop kid, and then yeah, and then you, you, you offering up all that kind of really, you know, quite you know, reggae at times and jazz and other times. And then, and then Andy playing this sort of high harmonic style, you know. Yeah, he had very know, fancy chords. Well, you also did more for the Roland Space Echo, didn't you, between you than. Well, that was, a, that was a story. You know, one day in 1978, we were over there touring across the land in America. And the phone call comes in that back home, uh, the checks, the record company deposited the check. We are now three wealthy young men. And we happened to be in New York City that day. And so we went straight yeah. down to Manny's on 47th Street, which is a huge yeah. music store. Ah, uh, yes. I'm sure you both know. Yeah, well, yeah. it's not there anymore. No. And we went there and, and we bought 
uh, everything in triplicate. You know, Fender Stratocaster, I'll have one, so will I. Well, Andy already had one. So we got the Roland Echo, three of them, the uh, Roland Jazz Chorus Amp, three of them, <laughs> the, Taurus ja- the Taurus Bass Pedals. Uh, okay, only two of them. I don't want those. But hang on, are you saying you didn't have a Space Echo when you began? <laughs> no, no. Well, Andy had the original Echo Plex. Uh-huh. Um, and, but then Roland came along with like the updated version of it. And that afternoon we took all of our, our booty out to New Long Island where we had a show, a place that you may remember called my father's place. Oh, right. and yeah, we, yeah. yeah, we, and we had the sound check from hell with everyone trying out their new toys <laughs> and there am I on the drums and I got my new Stratocaster and, um, my echoplex, but I'm the drummer in the band and nobody wants, and you know, and I got my amp, but nobody wants to hear that. Wait till I get home, but I want to play with my toys. So I plug my snare drum into the echoplex and you know, da, 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 and you could, wow, I can build up a rhythm and do some live dub. So I had a foot pedal, I could turn the, um, the space echo on and off. And I got a whole groove going with the, the slap back, the delay line on the snare drum. Fantastic. And eventually it, it, got too much i was putting it on the kick putting it on the tom toms putting it in my tea um <laughs> it was kind of a cool trick but you liked activating things live didn't you and, and, and you did that great movie where with all those films where you'd filmed yourself during gigs yes it was all um, remote activated which is so cool yeah i got a movie camera that that was the next actually no I, I got the movie camera earlier i think that was the first bit of extra dosh um i got this little movie camera and shot everything that moved and it was sort of like the tourist thing where, you know, you know what it's like in a, that, that, that rise, uh, the rocket ship that is a rising rock band is an amazing experience. And you just want to scrape some of it off, put it in your pocket and take it home. Do, do you know, do you know what? I, I, I watched that movie and I felt a, an, an affinity. There's something we had in common in that um, the goofing clowning around and it goes back to, you know, maybe this discussion we were having earlier about, you know, how do bands deal with each other when you're, you know, the egos of men. Um, and the, and I, I and I know that that was the, how we sort of acted in Spandau, you know, a lot of goofing, a lot of clowning, but it was really just to try and keep everything light and ignore all the shit that was underneath that was bothering us. Yeah. I mean, and, and there's a kind of sadness about that. You know, we see that. Even the Beatles were the same, you know. When, you know but the Beatles started it, didn't they? The, the kind of clowning thing. That's where, where that comes from. Isn't well, it? I'll bet you Manfred Mann also clowned and so did the Kinks. It's just sort of, you have, there's a unique camaraderie of three, four, five guys stuck together in the van. And when you rise to the top, sure, you're like siblings or you're like a married couple without the sex, goddammit, married to two other guys, you know. <laughs> So the good, the clowning around kind of, you know, loosens it up a bit. And actually, that's the weird thing is I, I, I remembered from looking at all this footage, I, I guess I didn't pick up my, when we were screaming at each other, I failed to pick up my camera. That's probably the real excuse. But all of the footage we have from these supposedly angst-filled years was actually pretty cheerful. We were clowning around and goofing yeah. off and enjoying the ride. But of course, now, now there will be someone filming everything, wouldn't there? But, <laughs> but, but no, there's a difference, though. The, the, the difference between that MTV... Uh, documentary, damn, I'm showing my age, um, that documentary about the group is that this camera was in the group and it was like a first person shooter. You know, when you watch the movie, Andy's shouting at you. Um, you were like a CNN embedded reporter, weren't you really? Or, but, but well, also, that's right. Well, <laughs> in the army, the, you know, the, taking the shots. Back of, 
Yeah, that's right. The, the, the fans are screaming into the camera. And so when you watch the movie, you are Stuart. Gary and I, now through the band we're in together, Nick Mason's Source Full of Secrets, have uh, now find ourselves in this prog world, which is something which, of course, was a dirty word for years. And, that, and it's fa now fantastic, fantastic embraced place. And of course, so now you can finally talk about curved air. I am out of the yes. closet, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> I am emerging from the closet. I am proud to be yes, proud. Come on. I was married, <laughs> I was married to Sonia Christina, which makes me absolutely blue chip certified frog. I think we might use that clip in our new intro. That's great. <laughs> proud to be prog. It's you know the prog AA, isn't it, or whatever it was. But it's true. It was. Yeah. It's true. You could because I I remember when I I knew that about you back that you know when I was a. A, a police fan in my sort of post punky days and there was a and there was that thing that like you had to ignore that you'd been in curved air no i didn't ignore it i denied it hang on there, there was there's some weird thing you you tour managed curved air as well and then the drummer ends up tour managing the police is that um, am I confused about that both those uh, sort of um i managed a band called Catar and way back you know in the days of milk and honey this band never you know sank without a trace but the drummer was a good buddy and he eventually became, Tim Kerner's name was, he became the police's tour manager. But Curved Air, I was Curved Air's tour manager. Um, and then the drummer, Florian Pilkington Mixa, um, who was independently wealthy, he just didn't want to do it anymore. So he left. And as the tour manager... Which is I the progus name ever. I, yeah, progus name. I just... <laughs> Proga, it's no progus name. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, yeah, actually, that's absolutely true. Because that was the problem with prog, is that it was all these posh public schoolboys, you know. Uh, <laughs> when Spandau were, were starting out, was it still in the thick of the spit-hurling phase of punk rock? Did were you gobbed upon? Well, w when we were in our initial phase, just as as kids, we were we were called other things like the Makers and the Roots, uh, and then we experienced a little bit of that. But then by the time Spano came along, we were part of that whole Blitz crowd, and we were we were yeah, yeah, <laughs> pur yeah. purposely not doing those gigs. Um, Steve Strange. Uh, so with Steve Strange, and of course, yeah, we played the Blitz and we played unusual places. But you, you know, you more than any other band threw yourself. I know we're sort of jumping backwards and forwards here, but you more than any other band in that era threw yourself into touring, didn't you? I mean, you were, you did gig after gig, and that's how you broke the world, really. Yeah, you know what it's like, though. I mean, that's what you live for. That's sort of your raison d'etre. Um, also, the and, joy of being a trio, isn't it? Is you can just bung it in a car, right? That's right. That's you know, uh, that's my stock answer for why only three guys. Well, because you can fit <laughs> in a car with a driver. Nobody, you know, in curved air, Sonia had to sit on the hump in the back seat. <laughs> so, uh, listen, I think we have to go back, right? Just, just to find out who you are, because you started off touring. You're, I'm you, still you were to figure that out. You were always traveling, weren't you? Non as a kid, when you were born, and your and Guy was telling me earlier, your your dad was a spy. I want to know more. It's a station chief, wasn't he? CIA station chief. Yes, that's right. Um, he would have taken umbrage at spy because that, didn't, you yeah. know, he didn't have the upturned collar. He was more into cocktail parties, and um, and. Uh, and um, regime change in the Middle East. He was, um, uh, when, I was when I was born in uh, a suburb of Washington, D.C., which is basically a suburb of the CIA, McLean, Virginia, um, my daddy was away on business. He was installing Gamal Abdel Nasser uh, as dictator of Egypt. Um, and a couple months after I was born... So, so is it your fault? 
Uh, <laughs> Sorry, no, no, no. Let's talk. Partially, actually, yes, I take responsibility for sewers. <laughs> well, it's about time. Yeah, <laughs> somebody's got to stand up. The buck stopped here. Um, but I mean, he, so I was shipped to Cairo at the age of two months, um, and I didn't get back to the states till I was eighteen. Uh, you know, from Cairo to um, Beirut, Lebanon, and then when my father's uh, cover was blown and and uh, Kim Philby was busted ah. and escaped from China, I mean to uh, Russia, and it all got weird. So I was shipped off to darkest Somerset to boarding school in Somerset. And then I didn't get back to the States till I was 18. And then I have this image that you're called one day and you go to a private meeting and this shadowy person says, Stuart, we have a plan for you. There's this band called the police. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's right. It was, that's right. It was the government-funded um, uh, effort to pervert uh, the youth, the modern youth. Um, in fact, I, I now realize it was a Soviet-funded thing to tear down society. So how did you find out you were a drummer? Uh, it came and found me, actually. Um, <laughs> my father was a musician before he was a spy, um, and he was a jazz trumpeter. In fact, I'm looking at his trumpet right now. I've still got it. And it's a pretty fancy trumpet, too, for a kid out of Alabama. He must have been a pretty good session player. Um, but he felt like his true nature in between deposing governments um, was that he was a musician, an artist. I just want to sing or rather play jazz. Um, and so he raised me to be a jazz musician. In fact, they filled the house with musical instruments. And like I said, I was the youngest sibling and none of the other kids, my brother Miles, nor my brother Ian, nor sister Lenny got into the instruments. So when I came along, they were mostly broken or I soon broke them. Um, and, uh, just kind of picked up every instrument and played a bit of guitar, the piano, the trumpet, the everything. But mostly I was just banging on stuff. And so um, on an off chance, uh, my father rented me a drum set from an Armenian jazz strip, uh, kind of a strip joint drummer and got me lessons. And I joined a group called the Black Knights um, in Beirut. We played the British Embassy Beach Club, the American Embassy Beach Club, the, the American Community School, and so on. Oh. It was actually kind of what a kind of, what kind of music? What kind of music? Uh, we played Kinks, um, James Brown, Animals. Um, the, the, what's that one? Um, I feel good. I feel good. James Brown. Fuck! How many bums are there? <laughs> Miles and you sort of have a shared musical thing. Well, uh, my brother Ian was in there too. Uh, Ian was the coolest kid in Beirut. Uh, he was the most notorious motorcycle thief and uh, the, you know, and he got kicked out of the American community school, which meant that I had to leave too. And we were sent off to the English community school, uh, Manor House. Um, and so Ian was the coolest kid, uh, but Miles was like the breadhead of the family. And he was like, he just wanted to manage stuff. In fact, he was giving, he had a judo school that he was working on and I was just the kid brother. Uh, and when the when the the band the Black Knights the 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 kid who played drums had you know his family got restationed back to America or something, and there was a vacancy and sure they wanted Ian to be the drummer and there was a their drum set um, I I think I had one, but he couldn't play it, and it was that weird thing of he'd get on and try to play the drums, and couldn't get it together and then he'd roar off on his stolen motorcycle and I'd get on the drums, and I could do it. 
Now, wait a minute, that's not right. This is not, how could I possibly be doing something that my big brother and hero can't do? I must be doing it wrong. Um, but anyhow, Ian soon figured that out. And, uh, and he, 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 he was my agent in later years as well. But even when I was 12 years old, he was my agent. Uh, 40 years later, he was probably your agent too. Um, um, he was one of the biggest agents um, booking rock shows across. In fact, he was the guy who created the British invasion of the late 70s and early 60s. Uh, you know, he brought over Squeeze, Police. Um, I, I would be very surprised if, if he wasn't Spandau's agent as well. Yeah, no, I, just, I think, you know, I think that we did have a connection at some point in the States. Absolutely. In the early days. Yeah. Yeah. I can't. Now you now you've said it. So how did you end up escaping all of this and ending up in curved air? And then we'll get on to the police in a minute. But I mean, uh, well, what did you come back when you came back at 18? Well, I was I went off. I was in boarding school in England and then I went to college in America and I was in California. And I would come home for the summer to England because my family still lived in England. Um, and one time I came home for a summer and um, I had a room where I played drums in, in our house, which was all soundproofed and everything. And I ran into the violin player, Daryl Way of Curved Air. And we started a band called Shark Naked and the Car Thieves, <laughs> one of the coolest band names ever, which was, which was my brother Ian's band in Vietnam uh, when he was a soldier there. Anyhow, uh, but then Curved Air reunited to pay off a VAT bill. <laughs> And he went back, oh and, and uh, since my band... I don't think people realise how important VAT has been to the yeah, music the business, just how many records and tours have been yeah, right. for the VAT. That's right, to pay <laughs> off the VAT bill. And yeah. so they did a tour, and since I wasn't doing anything, and I did actually have tour managing chops, I insinuated my way um, uh, to be the tour manager. And then when Florian uh, took off, I slipped on you see one of the things you have to learn as a drummer is how to get rid of the other guy because there's only one drum set you know guitarists can plug into the other hole in the amp um but drummers need to develop the skill of nuking the other guy so i got in there <laughs> oh, i love that so i got in as, on the drums with curved air and then punk happened right that and that's, then punk that happened. So what did you because you've said before uh, uh Stuart, that that what you liked about punk was that you loved Jimi Hendrix right and you saw uh, some correlation there well the wild energy of yeah. Jimi hendrix was different from the flower child thing because i was a little bit too young for the hippie generation by the time i was you know eligible to be a hippie um it was old and stale and and just lame yeah. and too many notes and too noodly and too up itself and too dare i say it prog um even though I'm proud to be Prague, um, it was <laughs> yeah, a little. We know, we know what you mean. We know what you mean. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and and so the the, the the energy, the raw power of energy. And the other thing was that Curved Air, you know, we like everybody, guys, you need a hit. Let's get a hit producer. So the hit producer came out. Um, and the first thing they did was turn my drums into sludge. The, the, at that time, the, the fad was for the fat back. And I don't, that's just like, I'm the wrong guy for who, that. Who is the hit producer? Well, they were out of Criterion Sound. They'd produced Joe Walsh and uh, um, George, Howie and something Albert, the Fat Alberts, they call themselves. And um, <laughs> they didn't understand that Curved Air was not Jackson Brown. 
the curved air was about noodly violin solos playing songs called Vivaldi. Yeah. And uh, in weird time signatures. You needed an English producer, was, really. Yeah. So they tried to turn us into Little Feet. And I'm a big fan of Little Feet. Okay. Don't get me wrong. But curved air, wrong band. Yeah. And so <laughs> I, that was kind of a rebellion there. So curved air was kind of in that strange position where everything we did cost us money. If we record an album, we're deeper in debt. We play a show. We're deeper in debt. We do a photo session, anything related to being in a band. And our nut was growing with the record company. And there was a slump in the record industry. I think the cost of vinyl went up or something like that. Oh, wasn't it something and, to do with the petrol? Uh, yeah, yeah. Wasn't it the OPEC yeah, petrol thing, yeah. equals vinyl. That's where vinyl comes from. So um, there was a, the music industry crashed. And all the prog groups, such as Curved Air, Caravan, Stack Ridge, uh, a band called O. Uh, I remember Gen them. I saw them quite a few times. I like those. Sorry. Okay. I, I, I don't, I don't this know. is a game people of our age can play. Okay. Yeah. I say, Climax Wars then. And you say, uh, Caravan. And I say, um, Renaissance. And you say, <laughs> your turn. Uh, Pentagon. Pen not Pent Pentang Pentangle. Pentangle. Oh, you son of a... Hawkwind. Um, ICU. Nick Turner's ICU. Oh. Isotope. Van de Graaff Generator. Van der Graaff Generator. <laughs> you get double points for Van der Graaff Generator. <laughs> I still can't believe there was never a prog band called Schrodinger's Cat. <laughs> and, or nor evil Edna's Horror Toilet. <laughs> we, we need to get on to the police. How on earth do you end up in the police? Uh, starting the police? Well, we were just arriving at that portal where the uh, old wave was rented. The music business was going out of business to sust all the bands like Caravan, Curved Air, Stack and Ridge, Van der Graaff Generator. We camel. all had <laughs> Camel. We're never getting off this. Sorry. Along <laughs> from the gutters of London arose this foul smelling punk phenomenon where the kids are like, don't they, they can only, they can only play three chords and not very well. In fact, there was an advertisement for, you know, the adverts, no three chords, the damned no two. Come see all five of them at the roundhouse, you know. <laughs> well, I remember it was, it, was when, it was when Musicians Wanted ads went from being kind of a, a guitarist wanted, not on heavy trip, no time wasters, and it then changed to guitarist wanted, no beards. <laughs> <laughs> no hair, short yeah. hair. But yes, I actually did answer such ads, and I, but, and I could see this going on. In Curved Air, we were, we were just drifting off into nothing. Um, and meanwhile, at the Roxy Club on Neil Street in London, uh, there's yes. a scene happening. It's just wild, exciting. People my age, not older than me, younger than me. You know, minnows amongst whom I could be a shark, indeed. Um, <laughs> he says with some cynicism. So I thought this is the word. Well, it was entirely cynical, I will confess. Um, uh, that it was entirely cynical. And I thought this, is, first of all, the energy was right for where I was at emotionally and age-wise as well. But I did have chops, which disqualified me from yep. being a genuine punk. And so... But you were loud and aggressive, and you that's that really helped you, didn't it? That aggression, yeah, yeah. The, that's the Jimi Hendrix thing. And it suited me perfectly. I saw the damn Johnny Thunder's Heartbreakers. Uh, oh, you know, yeah. They, it was just an exciting scene down there, and I want to do this. The other part that was cool was that it was do-it-yourself. Yes. We would play the Roxy for 15 quid or the Hope and Anchor or, you know, Rebecca's in Birmingham or any of these places where they, you know, and okay, that's seven for the PA, um, three that's for right. the truck, 
And that's, that's like nine quid. Well, okay, like two for the curry dinner. Yeah. And that's actually money in our pockets at the end of the night. Whereas in curved air, like I said. Those extra prawn crackers are still eating you away, aren't they, though? That's right. Who ordered yeah. those? <laughs> yeah. You know, I've, I've, I've still have, because I'm like that, I've still got my, my accounts, my papers, and I've still got the accounts. You know, um, the, you know, we played a big gig, you know, 25 quid, you know, seven for the PA, whatever for the truck, two for dope uh three for you know the curry and yeah, then we've actually cans of warm skull <laughs> yeah we'd, we'd actually- there's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care plush care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe fda approved weight loss medications like wigovi and Zepbound for those who qualify Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. This episode of Rock on Tours is sponsored by AG1, the daily nutrition supplement. AG1 is a comprehensive and convenient blend of over 70 vitamins, minerals and other vital ingredients like gut-friendly bacteria, antioxidants and much more. Just one scoop of AG1 daily has all the nutrients you need to support your mental performance, energy levels, heart health and immune system. To be honest, it's pretty vital stuff for us because when you've got a life on the road and you're short of time or you're too busy to plan and prepare healthy meals, you're getting your podcast together, you're being shouted at and it's just a nightmare. AG1 gives me all the good stuff and helps keep my energy levels where I need, ready for showtime or doing the podcast and with a nice vanilla taste. It keeps me focused, feeling good, feeling healthy with its daily dose of vitamin C and zinc. And it's so easy to use. Just one scoop a day gives me over 70 carefully selected ingredients. Simple. Trusted by Olympians, F1 drivers and the rock on tours. So if you want to replace your multivitamin and more, start with AG1. Try AG1 and a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first subscription. Go to drinkag1.com slash rockonteurs. That's drinkag1.com slash rockonteurs. Check it out. Actually put money into our pockets. And uh, a buddy of mine lent me a record to record a song called, Don't, um, what was it called? Um, 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 Fallout. And we recorded yeah, yeah. Our, our gosh darn selves. And I found the record plant, my gosh darn self. And I took the pressing to there and I retrospect cut some pictures up made a made a cool out sleeve but i didn't realize you're supposed to design and print the sleeve before you print the record so that you can take the acetate to the record plant as well as the sleeve and they put the record into the <laughs> sleeve. So the first 2000 police records sting pot of henry padovani our first guitarist and i sat there taking them out of the white sleeve and putting them into the picture sleeve wow. and then i'd call up the record stores around england 
and the, 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 the store, the record store in Liverpool, they say, I call up, I got this new band. We're called, are they punk? Yes. Okay. Is it got a picture? <laughs> yeah. Have you got short hair, long hair, short hair. Good. Send me a box of 25. Fantastic. And so I was there on the phone selling boxes of records. Um, and the, the, the money would come in and I'd, I'd actually split the money up. We were making more money in cur- in the police doing it ourselves than we ever made in Curved Air, where we were all on salary and we had 10 roadies. Chris Blackwell uh, started, didn't he, by Island Records, by selling re- his own pressings out uh, of well, my boy Lollipop out the back of a van. Really? That was him. Did you, did you miss the bit about meeting Sting? We all need to know this yeah. moment when the stars, oh, stars okay. aligned, you know? Well, back in the Curved Air days, we played Newcastle. And Newcastle, as you all know, is that one gig too far. When you play Liverpool, you can drive home that night. Manchester, you know, you're down the yeah. M6, you pull into the Blue Boar for double egg, sausage, chips, beans, and a slice. Um, but Newcastle is just that little bit too far, and so you got to overnight. And so we overnight in Newcastle, and, and on our night off, um, a local journalist who kind of fancied Sonia took us to the local Polytechnic, which had a gig in this band we got to see called Last Exit. And they actually were pretty good. They were like a jazz band. But the main thing about them was that was noticeable was this golden shaft of light descending from the heavens, alighting upon his magnificent brow. And you could, I could see, I, I just saw, my God, meal ticket. <laughs> and so I mean, it was obvious. And uh, the bass, he was a bass player and he could sing a bit. And I thought, well, that's a free seat in the car. But I always wanted it to be a three-piece anyway. And meanwhile, punk was going on in London, and I was trying to start a band. And I saw that guy, and I thought, he's useful. So um, sometime later, I called him up. I, or rather, I called up the journalist. Uh, Phil Sutcliffe was his name. And um, I called him up and said, uh, that, that bass player, Sting. Uh, he said, oh, no, I'm not giving you his number. You'll, you'll entice him down to London and break up our great band. And oh, no, no. I'm not giving you, because I know, I've heard about, you're into that punk thing, which is, because that was, we had arguments in Curved Air about punk, and I was saying it was cool, and they were saying it was the enemy, and so he wouldn't give me the number. Oh, well. Oh, so, anyhow, and half an hour goes by, I said, gosh darn it, and I called him back, and uh, his girlfriend answers, oh, no, Phil's not here, uh, can I help in any way? Well, yeah, you know that guy's thing, oh, yeah, Sting, yeah, yeah, isn't he amazing? Uh, well, can you give me his number? Hang on a minute. Here, 043171. And I called him. He at that time was dying to get out of Newcastle, get down to the big smoke. And so I fast talk him um, and, you know, gave him the impression that I had it all going on. I got a record company. I got this cool band named The Police and we got it all figured out. We're going to be rich and famous. Uh, just, you know, come on down. He said, I'll be there Thursday. And he came down Thursday. So he, we hang up and I'm like, shit, I got to get a band together. Uh, who am I going to, you know, so I found this friend of mine who played like a couple of chords on the guitar and had recently dropped acid and cut his hair. And so, all right, you're in. That was Henry. And I showed him. EA. I worked with him in the early age. I did, I did a, a whole day's work with some band with him, some band he was trying to. Yeah. Produce. He was great. Great guy. He so, was the only real thing. We, the rest of us were charlatans in the police. He was the only real thing. Um, <laughs> anyhow, I showed him E, A and D. Cause you know, I had, I told Sting, I had a whole you know, yeah, we got, we're a band. We got all the material, everything. And uh, I had these crap songs that I'd written. Um, but I had to show him the A, E, and D, and G as well, um, to be, you know, that's like verging on jazz, you know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you're on thin ice there. 
Yeah, really? <laughs> well, so, I, so he pretended that he, I said, yeah, it goes to G there. And, uh, and Henry would pretend, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I just showed him yesterday. And uh, <laughs> the thing wasn't fooled at all. But we definitely, something happened. That guy plugged into that Fender showman, Fender baseman, and ripped it up. And we just, it, it, you know, it was just obvious this is happening. And we, we and so uh, the rest is history. Where would that have been? Was that one of the fab fabulous grunge old rehearsal rooms that we all knew? Uh, no, it was in my fancy digs in Mayfair, a um, couple of blocks from uh, Hyde Park. In fact, I was squatting a very oh. fancy squat, a two-story apartment. And Were you really I, squatting or was it someone someone knew? No, I really... Yeah? Well, <laughs> it, was a, it was a fancy version of a squat. It was like, you know... Uh, my father knew this woman who had this fancy apartment. She was a journalist. She had invited some people to stay. They never left. How can we get rid of them? My father says, well, my son has a punk band. <laughs> and so I moved. So they didn't move out, but I moved in. We did a session for Mike Howlett, who was in Gong, which is a band that another we should, somebody should have said Gong. Uh, another. No, we, we love Gong. We love Gong. They, so Mike Howlett, their bass player, had a session making an album. And for some reason, he wanted it to be a two-bass two player thing. So... He got Sting the gig, and Sting got brought me along. And the guitarist on the session, we, this is when we knew this is a big deal, walks in, this triple-scale guitarist, the cream of London musicianship, Andy Summers. Um, uh, and he comes in, in in all of his majesty and nails his part. And uh, we get kind of a thing going. And then we did this gig with Gong in Paris, where it was like everybody in Gong and their spinoff groups. And we so we had to, we were short of material, learned a couple of police songs, and and then I run into Andy in the tube in the underground. I get out of the underground. And oh, there he is. oh, oh, mate. Yeah, and he says, "Stuart, let's have a talk." And he pulls me into the cafe. And uh, he hates this version of the story, but I tell you, it is true. Not only is it true, but it shows Andy's great personality. Stuart, look, you and that bass player, I think you got something. But you need me in the band, then I accept. <laughs> So I called Stingo. Remember that Andy Summers? He he wants to be in the band. And Sting just flipped out. Are you kidding? My God, saved! Saved music at last! At last we can make some music! And uh, it was... Calm down. Calm down. We can't afford him. Uh, he's going to expect roadies. And, and I told Andy, I said, dude, you know, I'm flattered. Thank you. But we don't have any management. I'm the management. We don't have a record company. I'm the record company. We don't have any roadies. <laughs> You're the roadies. We, you know, and he, and, and to his credit, he said, nope, I'm going to throw in all my sessions. I'm sick of being a sideman. I want to be in the group. Um, I want it to, you know, and I'm, 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 I'm in, I'm in. I didn't believe him. And so when I told Stingo, he says, it's just, he's in. And I said, Sting, no, we, he's going to leave in two weeks and we'll be screwed. And it's not going to, you know, but Sting said, he's in or I'm out. <laughs> okay so now we got two guitars much less room in the car this um, is when i saw you this is when i sneak my head around the corner in the open anchor when when, when you had that little post on the wall saying may the force be with you and i thought who's on tonight and i looked around and i saw four guys on stage in a, in a pretty empty room at that point and i went nah oh totally yeah <laughs> i don't think we ever managed to fill the hope and anchor what was the vibe like when it was the, when it was henry and andy together i mean how how andy said look okay um i am going to get rid of him uh, there's only room for one guitarist in this band. Um, and so, oh, well, you know, we tried to sh schmush that over. 
Um, but it didn't last. And eventually, you know, because as soon as he could play fancy chords, Sting's musicality just woke up like, you know, you see, this was the thing. I thought he was a bass player who could sing a bit. And I had no idea how well he could sing because he was singing these crap punk songs that I wrote. I had no idea that he could carry a tune. Um, and so a couple things happened. One is that we got an Andy session. He, he canned all of the sessions except for this one guy in German who, Germany who does tours and pays such great money that he can't say no. And by the way, he got me and Sting on board as the band with this thing. So we went over to Germany and played a very prog show, very conceptual, and he wanted us to improvise. And so far away from the critics of London and the straitjacket rules of <laughs> punk, we were improvising. And that was the first time I heard that Andy could do more than just slam that riff. He actually had some really cool. And then, and then one night, um, Sting wasn't the singer, but one night the, the jazz singer chick strayed away from the microphone. Sting walks up and gets on the microphone while we're jamming. And the sound that came out broke every heart. The birds wow. stopped their flying. The butterflies, <laughs> and, you know, it was just every heart. Angels wept. The angels wept. And our hearts were, and Andy and I are in, what the, what, what, whoa, wow. Um, and so when we got back to London, Sting was writing these songs. I think the first one was um, Born in the 50s. Great, let's do oh, that. Right. Which yeah, which is actually still still the most straight ahead punky police. Yeah, song, it, we hadn't right fully ahead. departed yet. And then he came up with so lonely. Then he came up and just like I never I didn't see this coming because it up to that point I was a band leader, I'd written the crap songs and you know, and I it hadn't occurred to me that there's such a thing as better songs. But what was so beautiful about what you you this band was it was so lean. There was no extra fat. There was no one in the band. There's no one in the band. You went, Who, who's that guy? You really, you know, he's only there because he's got a good smile or whatever. They, this was the tightest, leanest band of incredible musicians, all sneaking under the radar of punk with all its wariness and fear. And as because you were all incredible musicians, but you managed to just like not give that completely away until you know you could. Well, recently I have been one of the other missions I've been engaged on is creating. Um, these police songs for orchestra because I'm all fancy schmancy now and I write music for orchestra and arrange it. <clears throat> and so I did these derangements for the documentary for the Super 8 movie that I did and I got all the police tunes and I put the chorus of this song, bodged it together with the verse of that song, took the bass line from here, put it, you know, basically deranged the whole thing. And so now I'm doing these derangements for orchestra and I'm doing this tour with, the, or was going to do this big tour with orchestras. And so I'm arranging these songs that Sting wrote, and they're so simple, yet so sublime. And I'm expanding it out to, you know, use the woodwinds and the brass and the strings and everything based on these very simple elements that are just, uh, you know, I, I, I very much enjoyed the ride that I got from those songs. And I'm very proud of the records, and I think they're pretty good, and I really like those songs. All these years later, have a much deeper appreciation of the raw, like you said, the leanness of his songs. They're very simple, but very sophisticated and multidimensional at the same time as just being three notes. 
Dun, 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 bling. I was going to say, because that's the one that blew my mind. As a, as a learning bass player, in that sort of whole post-punk world, that was the one that actually blew my mind. Because the thing that where Sting had that thing, where he would play things which were so unbelievably simple, but you could tell that he could clearly play anything. There's such a, yeah, and there's a, such, that's such an incredibly brilliant talent to play nothing that says you can do everything. <laughs> yeah, his chops did diminish a little bit. He can still play anything, but I mean, bed's too big without you. And then there's like a whole bar of nothing, you know, and, and sort of like with a microscope years, years later, am I able to really appreciate um, his work? Reggae was obviously a big part of your inspiration and influence. And um, was that coming from Sting as well? Or was that something you put into the band? And there's a history in rock music of really cod bad reggae. You know, I mean, Eric Clapton doing stuff yeah. maybe that wasn't quite right. But you guys managed to make that hybrid between, you know, pop and reggae and very, you know, white rock and, and, and pull it off. Well, it's Don Letts must be given credit. He was a DJ in ah. London. So Don Letts played um, dub, which was suitably hostile, but was chill hostile. You could be angry while chilling out. You could be chill angry. I have to also give credit to The Clash. And I've I've always thought it was police and thieves, which was was, um, poetics. The police came along and thieved that idea. But it wasn't. (laughs) It wasn't. There was some song that they did, which was an attempt. Topper Heaton did an attempt. Or was it Tory Crimes? I don't know. Was it White Man? Uh, White Man at Hammersmith Palace? Could have been, but it was an attempt at reggae. You know, I love The Clash and I give them all respect, but they it was very chunky and unfunky. And, you know, they, they I, yeah. all of us drummers were listening to reggae. Going, wait a minute, wait a minute, play that again. The backbeat is with the kick on three and there is no backbeat. And hey, where's one? Hide the one. There is no one. Two, three, four. <gasps> three, four, <gasps> there's no one. So the whole, the, the, the mechanism, the rhythmic me- mechanics of reggae are bass backwards. Yeah. And I had a hidden advantage because it so happens that the fundamental structure of Arabic music also hides the one and emphasizes the beat three of the bar. Uh... Uh, for your listeners, um, you know, music is basically four, four rhythm, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. Well, in reggae, they turn it all around. So it's two, three, four, two, three, four. There's no one. And that's the trick of reggae. And it's also the trick of the ballady rhythms of the Lebanese mountains. And so when it came to really, that's what he's doing. I, I had a, it was in my DNA and it came much more easily to me so that I could not only slavishly reproduce um, the the reggae rhythms, but I could kind of have fun with it and go other places. In fact, we were very unfaithful to the our reggae roots. We all we played it wrong. And and it's a, and it's it's a great anticipation for the drop. It's that suspension. The drop's going to come later. It's not coming when you think it is, and that's what's so satisfying. That's true. Well, yeah, the later. Well, when you're playing the clubs, you have a lot more fun because you're in it. When you're playing the 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 arenas or the theaters or the stadiums you're separated from it all and, and you know you don't get nearly as much action and then it gets rancid and then it gets boring and then one one stadium looks the same as the next one the fun part like you say, the 
The fun part is, is the early part, as you said. I, I also think that you, there was a, there was another cute thing you did, a, a kind of trick that the, the Beatles did, where the Beatles all had the same hair. You three guys decided to all have the same hair. And, and, and you know, we spoke about the goofing around earlier, but, but that was a strong image, I remember. You know, these three bleached... Did you obviously arguing over the peroxide. That's right. It was an advertisement for spearmint chewing gum. Now, Sting's wife, Sting's wife was an actress who had an agent who took one look at Sting and said, that guy's a star. And so she would send Sting off. He was mortified by this because he felt he was a musician, not some pretty boy, uh, even though he was damn pretty. Um, and they'd send him off for auditions and he'd win it every time and was actually making money kind of uh, as a, uh, uh, dare I say it, male model. So he would get the, um, he would win. And, and one time he got this Wrigley's chewing gum and they said, he's, yeah, it's cool like that, but we, we need a band. Let's get a punk band in here. And um, so the rest of the show, hey, they look a bit nice. Now let's look at So they peroxided all of our hair. And so there the three of us are looking at each other with our bleach blonde hair. I was already kind of dishwater blonde. And uh, we're looking at each other, and it just stuck. Um, and the, the commercial disappeared. It was never seen again. But the three blonde heads, as we refer to ourselves, um, went on to fame and fortune. I think you made five albums together, studio albums. What you did, you guys, which was very, very, it's either clever or it's sad, I'm not sure, but you, you, you managed to become more and more successful with every album. You ended up with the most successful album you'd ever made and number one everywhere, and, and then you finished. And, uh, and, 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 you know, that's, you know, it's like, it's like James Dean dying when he's young or, Mar Mar you know, you, you, you'd never see them grow old and the, the police never got punched out in the ring. Uh, that's true. We never saw the inevitable other side, which every band experiences, no dishonor in it. Uh, it's a young man's game, but yeah, we did break up. It, it just went on and on and I got a career in film composing and Sting, you know, started doing his, you know, basically we never got back together again, we, but we never did formally actually break up. We still haven't. Weren't there contractual things that needed to be sorted? Well, now that you mention it, the police owes A&M two more albums. Yeah, they're never going to happen, but we we do technically owe them two more albums. But but was how was it at the end? Was it how was it between you and Sting and and, and Andy at the end? When we the first time end um, was very good because we mostly really got along well. But then whenever the subject turned to music, that's when we would be at each other's throats. And the reason was because we all had something to say. And it became more and more obvious that the only statement that had any relevance was Sting's songs. And he understood full well that he knew exactly before he even brought them to the band how they should go. And he wasn't wrong. Um, but for the other two guys, that's not much fun to just take dictation. And so that rankled and we didn't. And we fought and we um, insisted on having some input into them and we succeeded. We, I, I like to think that we improved on, even though his song was a hit, perfect, we actually managed to give it a little extra something, take it, you know, take a, a few more yards down the field. And he actually, in hindsight, it can be recognized, he was quite patient. It was the third album, Zenyata Mandata, where it really was clear that he knew what he was doing. And yet he survived that and then two more albums where he had to put up with compromise. He knew how it should sound, and yet he had to put up with Stuart and Andy, you know, sort of like, get off my song. Um, but he did. He Out of loyalty, for whatever reason, 
he's stuck with us for another two records. So yeah, but it's not like you guys were just you know oh you sound like any other drummer or Andy sounds like any other guitarist. You had a real distinctive sound and identity that that made his songs the ones we know. The police. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, but you are irreplaceable. You are. There's not one element that's replaceable in that. Yes, but that only. But sure, fine. But at that point, he wasn't a bass player and singer anymore. He was a songwriter. And it was very frustrating. Sure, Stuart's great, but I, I've got this idea of, and now I've got to dilute it with somebody else's idea. Now, for me, as the youngest member of the family, that's been my life. I thrive on collaboration. I'm happiest as a member of a team. But, you know, I, I, it, I guess the, the long and short is that I'm very grateful that we managed to get even five albums out of the guy. You know, I, I think about, you know, my own situation with the band. You know, I think we were at our best probably or our happiest when, when I was just bringing songs in and playing them to them, you know, singing them up. And then everyone sort of joins in in the rehearsal room. And then as as we kind of developed, you know, into the situation where I was making full on demos, the band got very unhappy. And I wonder why, you know, I mean, look at Pete Townsend, who's always made full-on demos, but it's somehow the band didn't mind that. It, that 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 seemed to work for them. But uh, but I do think there's a thing about a songwriter just coming in and playing the music in front of the band, which is how McCartney would have done it, I'm sure, and uh, or Lennon. And, and then the band join in. Yeah, that's that's sort of the way it started, but as the, the, the platinum demos, because by this time, by the, you know, Later on, we all had living in our palaces. We all had a full-on recording studio at home. And so we would bring in these fully produced demos. And um, if we'd get to Montserrat to record an album, and um, we were all were expected to bring songs, and we, would all, we all wanted to bring songs, and so we would all work really hard. But if we had showed up at the studio without songs, Sting would have been very pissed off. What, I'm the only guy working here? And so even though he had no intention of playing our songs, he insisted that we all write them. <laughs> and he had a trick. Um, and Gary, I'm sure you probably played this, used this as well. So we'd show up and I'm dying to play the guys my songs. And I play my songs and I got them in a row. It's, you know, and the first one, eh, not bad, not bad. And the second one, eh. and then the third one, they're staring at the floor. And by the fourth song, I can feel, the, I, you know, ouch, 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 let me out of here. Now, Stingo had a whole other scheme. He would only reveal his songs one at a time. When we had run aground with whatever we're doing, okay, okay guys, I got a song. And we'd immediately stop whatever foolishness we were engaged in because we knew when he said, I got a song, that we were all going to get very rich. Um, <laughs> <laughs> being cynical, but we were all going to make a great record. So he would yeah. reveal a song, and we would record it right then and there. And so I realized this decades later that all those police albums, the last three police albums, I heard that song 20 minutes before recording the drums performance that is but, on the record. But every breath you, t every breath you take? That's right. And uh, Stuart, yes, yeah, Stuart, I heard you say in an interview, which I found fascinating, you were saying how that you would hear them and then you record them on the spot and you'd only do a few takes so that whatever, say the drums and the guitar are on, it's just that's how they are on that take. If the one that you used was the one before or the one after, it would have been a completely different yeah, thing. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, they got to redo all the guitars and the vocals till the cows came home and pristine. But those drums I was stuck with for decades. And and it, they're, they're, it's almost like improvised. I just hear them, you know, Sting and Andy would have their heads 
over, you know, F sharp minor, whatever that is. <laughs> and I'm sure they're just talking bullshit just to keep me annoyed. While they're working out the chord, um, I'm sort of <laughs> hearing a rhythm and I'm going over in my head. And they say, okay, let's do a take. And we do two or three takes and use one of them. And that there, which just came up on that day, is the record that I'm stuck with for the rest of my life. But it sort of worked. We'd go out on tour. And I'd figure out how to get from the chorus back down into the verse, the cool way of making the switch. And I'd figure it out after three, sh three shows, you know, but it's not like that on the record, but somehow the records kind of worked. Yeah. Listen, you do, you do, you're, you're, you're pretending that you don't know these chords, but now you're a great art. So come on, t let's, let's know the true, let's hear the true Stuart Copeland. How are you making this music? What is, were you, are you playing great piano first? Are you writing it down? What is it? How would you make an opera? Well, they invented this thing called computers. And so at first, you know, for 20 years, I was a film composer, which is how I learned um, what F sharp minor is for. It's only recently in the last few years that I've learned the names of any of these chords that I've been using all these years. Um, and, you know, the circle of fifths and all this stuff. Is that another but band? It's not a band. Now. The <laughs> right, circle of fifths. No, but I've, I've picked up these chops on the job scoring films. You know, the director says, Francis Coppola says, it needs to be happy, okay? Happy. Dun, 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 dun. That's happy, that's happy. Now, okay, and here it needs to be sad. And so 20 years, gazillion movies, I figure out how to be happy, sad, how to be sad, happy, how to be sad with a little touch of whimsy and an underlying cloud of doom. You know, but Doug, I must say, I, I'm sorry, but just to say, like your score for Rumblefish, where the whole thing was based around time, which of course is a great thing to give a drummer, because I, I've got to say, a lot of the percussion stuff on that is amazing. Damn, you guys are well researched. Well, I'm a no, I'm a fan of that. I, I I've always loved that film, but I, and that score is brilliant. There's something really particular. About no, well, sucks. I, I didn't know how you do it. I was making it up. And a lot of times, the best art comes from ignorance. Shush. <laughs> but anyway, years of that eventually. One, one day Francis turns around and says, this is great, but we need strings. And at first I'm thinking, oh, no, oh, no. Then I, you know, I've answered as I have taught my children, Francis, strings? Yep, strings. I'm going to get you some strings. And so I call up the contractor and I said, director wants strings. And uh, he says, okay, how many strings? <laughs> I don't know. Strings. How many strings? Are strings? More than one, I guess. I hire these string players. And I figure out these chords that I'm playing myself. And I can either play them in rhythm but wrong chord, or I can play the right chord but not in rhythm. I have to move my fingers. Let's see, this finger, that finger. Like, you know, the good Lord did not give me the gift of pianitude. <laughs> anyhow, I figured out these chords. String play, the string section comes in. And I book, you know, when you book an, a guitarist for the afternoon, you book him and he brings 10 guitars and a couple amps and a couple wah-wah pedals and you, you screw around. It's a fun afternoon of just finding stuff and you hire the right guy and he gives you stuff. But when it's on the chart, yeah, yeah. And, you know, and I, I know how to talk to I speak guitar and, um, you know, pull out the Stratocaster back pickup, man. <laughs> and, um, and I give them the, the chat, you know, the movie's here. And when uh, Rusty James looks at the girl and the, the, the love, I need to feel kind of a love swing. And then it kind of goes out and just sort of jam on the end, kind of improvise. And instead of looking happier and happier the way a guitarist would, they're looking more and more anxious. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And one of them says, uh, Maestro, uh, do you want us to play... Because there's no black dots. What's on the page here, these black dots, or whatever the fuck you're talking about. <laughs> um, 
And I go, play the page. And a couple things. First of all, they were done in 20 minutes, no whole afternoon. They were in and out, done. They played my, they were very simple charts, you know, at, at that point. Um, done. Number two, wow, that's really pretty. <laughs> you mean, I put it on the page because I had gone, you know, I'd studied music in college. Um, so I kind of, I'd never used any of this in a full career in rock and roll, never used a chart of music ever, ever, ever. And now for the first, since I was in college, I'm now putting dots on a page. And, um, the cool thing is that there was, I don't need any debate. I don't need to say they, they, they come in their whole ethos. Yes. They don't uh, borrow money. There's no debate. They do what you say. They don't borrow money. They don't argue, talk back. The only thing they can't do is, okay, um, who wants to take the solo? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, what I'm beginning to get from you, Stuart, is, is, is your confidence is built into your enthusiasm. You know, your passion and your kind of, you know, I want to do this, I want to do this. I, you know, you've got so much energy still. And that's, that's what confidence but, is in yeah. music, isn't it? Having that guy in the room who just believes. I mean, is that your secret? Yeah, well, yeah you're absolutely right. And you've got it yourself. Um, it's mo you if you don't like it yourself, you're not going to be very good at it, you know, because you need to kind of believe in yourself. Chutzpah. It takes a certain amount of uh, narcissism, I suppose. And listen, I bet we're going to have to wrap this up, I'm sure now. But I, it's so brilliant to talk to you. Amazing. Oh, thank you, Stuart. That was great. Really great. And have a have a good lockdown. All right, man. See you guys. Bye. I love that. Wow, what it, that, that's inspired me. I want to go out and get all my uh, my brass up uh, and get my saxes and my, tr my trumpets. And your crump horn. My you crump, want to get your crump horn. I'm going to get my crump horn immediately. <laughs> I'm going to have it hanging here, ready at a moment's notice to be played, to be crumped. But he, we definitely, yes, we want him on our prog band pub quiz team. Yeah, absolutely. So um, <laughs> that's it for this week's episode of Rock on Tours. Thank you to Stuart and thank you for listening. We're back next week with another superstar guest on the show. So uh, make sure you subscribe to the podcast and please uh, just leave a little review see you next week ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.